Mom, I got the job in Manhattan. Do you have a warm enough winter coat? What about your car? I'm selling it with Kelly Blue Book Instant Cash Offer. How? I enter my license plate number, miles, condition, upload photos, and boom, an official cash offer from a local dealership. A cash offer instantly? Oh, did you call Aunt Stella? She's right there in Massachusetts. Mom, I literally just got the job. Not everything is as simple as selling your car with Kelly Blue Book Instant Cash Offer. Price it, fix it, trade it, sell it. KBB.com it. To be back at the improv. How is everybody doing? So many crimes, it is hard to keep track these days. That's this frenetic pace we all live in. It's hard to keep up. You know, everybody's texting. There is a brand new episode of America Dissected with Abdul Al Sayed out this week about why prescription drug costs are way too high. It's another fantastic episode. Takes all these important issues, breaks them down in a fascinating, entertaining way. So check it out. Subscribe now and listen wherever you get your podcasts. America Dissected. Get dissecting. I don't know. (laughs) And next Thursday, Love It or Leave It, on the 17th, we'll be back at the Comedy Store in L.A. with guests Moshe Kosher and Michaela Watkins, both of whom I saw at Temple. Uh, Crooked.com slash events. Just occurred to me. All right. (laughs) Let's get into it. What a week. (laughs) Ellen DeGeneres is in hot water uh, for sitting next to infamous portrait artist George W. Bush (laughs) at a Cowboys game. Ellen defended watching the game with him, saying the two are friends. Everyone is giving Ellen a hard time. But uh, come on. We've all have, can't even, we all have that one friend, you know, that one friend who none of your other friends like because he destabilized the Middle East. And it's like, that's not the part I like, but it's still my friend. Ellen means a lot to me. Her coming out meant a lot to me. It was a little secret I had with a TV star at the time. It was important what she did. I didn't even realize how important it was to me till years later because she came out and I didn't talk about it because I was in the closet at the time. And then she's crying while she's getting a Presidential Medal of Freedom and I'm crying watching Barack Obama give her a Presidential Medal of Freedom back when we gave it to uh, comedians and not uh, Fox News racist personalities. <laughs> Ellen said we all need to be kind to everybody and I agree. I agree, which is why whenever someone tries to tell me a story about how Ellen is one of the meanest people in show business, (laughs) I say, I don't want to know. I don't want to gossip. It's not kind. And it happens all the time. (laughs) To the point where some suggest, and not me, because I don't gossip, that if you'd meet someone who has worked for Ellen, ask them how it was. But I don't because I'm not interested. (laughs) Kindness, token of the realm. And NDAs, kindness. (laughs) 
<laughs> Kindness and NDAs make the world go round. Some other news. Elizabeth Warren and Pete Buttigieg release plans to protect rights for the LGBT community. They're actually all in L.A. for a uh, CNN town hall on the subject. Warren's plan is called Securing LGBTQ Rights and Equality. Mayor Pete's plan is called Becoming Whole. <laughs> Good name for a plan on this topic because it includes the word coming in whole. <laughs> now I would like to read a tweet from a friend of the show named Guy Branham. And it's for all of us. I want to congratulate all the gay guys on Twitter who successfully identified that one of the words in the title of Buttigieg's LGBTQ plan sounds like the part of the body we have sex with. I wish all of you the best on your Daily Show submission packets. Uh, speaking of this town hall, uh, I just did want to roll a clip. Can we roll a clip of Vice President Biden at this event? The idea, it's normal. It's normalized. It's not anything strange. It's not strange. That's the generic point. And the more people know that, the more they understand it. Remember Anderson back 15, 20 years ago, we talked about this in, in, in San Francisco. It was all about, well, you know, gay, gay, gay bathhouses. And everybody, it's all about round the clock sex. It's all, come on, man. You remember Anderson? <laughs> You remember Anderson 15 to 20 years ago? The fucking round-the-clock action going on in San Francisco? You remember the just ferocious homosexual intercourse taking place on every street corner in the Castro? Anderson, I'm telling a story about equality. Well, let's see how he landed it. Gay couples are more likely to stay together longer than heterosexual couples. And so that was the point. There was a point he was trying to make, I suppose, about acceptance and butt stuff. <laughs> but it's really, you know, Biden's out there, and when he's um, trying to land a, a, a point, it does feel like watching somebody in a Cessna in a very bad storm. And, and the, it's rocking, you know? And you're just like, just get it on the ground. Just get it. Doesn't have to be pretty. Just get that fucking plane on the goddamn ground, Joe. Anderson, 10 years ago, you say gay to me. I think of a pride parade, dicks everywhere. Now I think of families. I'd like to be your president. <laughs> And we're learning more about the context of Trump's call with Ukraine's president, in which he traded arms for political favors, some name options, playing around with Ukraine Gate, Ukrainium One, stupid Watergate, <laughs> the quid pro oh no, I Ku Klux Klan Contra, and Pence Pence Key Evolution. Pence Pence Key Evolution. Uh, two of Rudy's goons. <laughs> who were on the case, on the Ukraine case with him, were arrested at Dulles with one-way tickets to Vienna, the most guilty thing I've ever heard. <laughs> Charged with campaign finance violations along with other assorted charges. A lot to unpack there. I'm sure we'll find out more in the days ahead.
Meanwhile, on Wednesday, the New York Times reported the following. A White House official who listened to President Trump's July call with Ukraine's leader described it as, quote, crazy, frightening, and completely lacking in substance related to national security, according to a memo written by the whistleblower at the center of the Ukraine scandal. The official was, quote, visibly shaken by what had transpired, the CIA officer wrote in a memo. Later on Wednesday, CBS got a full readout of the memo, which confirmed the Times report. You know, this story has moved beyond just this whistleblower into many other facets of the sort of criminality and corruption and abuses of power of the administration, not to mention the efforts of the administration to cover it up. But there was something, I think, really clarifying about this story and the right-wing response to it. Uh, Molly Hemingway is a senior editor at The Federalist, which is basically just Breitbart if it went to Dartmouth. And uh, she tweeted this based on the Times story. And while I would normally not dwell on a tweet, which is a lie, uh, this has... (laughs) I'll dwell on a tweet for days. Uh, It stuck with me because it did capture something, I think, essential about the politics of this moment. Can we put it up on the screen? It quotes the the Times story, and it says, One... Rollout of latest attempts to oust Trump was irreparably harmed by the transcript release. No need to tell us what those posed thought of it because we already read it. Two, if any adult was visibly shaken by that call between world leaders, that speaks to their instability. And I really wanted to break this down because it's the kind of thinking you're seeing a lot of on the right. So let's start with point number one. This is an attempt to oust the president because the crimes are serious. Therefore, the crimes aren't serious because it's an attempt to oust the president. If you report something bad enough that the president might deserve to be ousted, you can't be taken seriously because clearly all you're out to do is point out to the country that the president is a criminal who shouldn't be in office. Does anyone see a logical problem there as to what happens when a person reports terrible offenses by the president? Okay, so let's move on. That's a small thing. I find that frustrating. That's life in 2019. Next, we learn that the attempt to oust not from a whistleblower, it was actually a rollout, right? It's a big political operation. Failed, and why did it fail? Because the transcript shows us there was nothing there. It's all a big nothing, which is crazy because you see that not everybody agrees. We have just released Fox News polls on what voters think about impeachment. 51% of those responding say the president should be impeached and removed from office. That's up nine points from July. 4% say impeach but do not remove. 40% say do not impeach. So that is 55% saying that the president should be impeached or impeached and removed. Pretty staggering result considering the transcript undid the complaint of the whistleblower. But... We're building a cathedral of misinformation, brick by brick by brick. The damning call we all saw, that did the opposite of what we can all see with our own eyes and ears. But finally, here's the best part, too. If any adult was visibly shaken by the call between world leaders, that speaks to their instability. And that really got to me. And I see that it resonated, because this tweet went was retweeted thousands of times, which is, Jared, as you know, the currency of our age. And... Uh, <laughs> And that's when I decided that I, I was going to put this tweet in the time capsule that I plan to bury and then mark as an evil place and salt the earth. This idea that if you were visibly shaken by what the president said, you're unstable, really spoke to me about what's actually happened, the kind of corruption that's happened in huge parts of the right. Because when you really think about it, what she's saying is, if you care, if this bothers you, if you're so patriotic that 
judges and tax cuts and Republican victories aren't important enough to justify the president's crime, it's a form of mental illness. To be horrified by Trump's moral abominations is a form of uh, uh, disorder. And uh, there's something wrong with us, but I I don't agree. You have to be unstable to be shaken, visibly shaken by what you just heard on the phone. So tonight, the Washington Post has an incredible story that just broke, an account of what happened in the hours before, during, and after that phone call. Concerns soared in the call's aftermath, officials said. Within minutes, senior officials, including National Security Advisor John Bolton, were being pinged by subordinates about problems with what the president had said to his Ukrainian counterpart, uh, Zelensky. Bolton and others scrambled to obtain a rough transcript that was already being locked down on a highly classified computer network. Those involved in sounding alarms were not swamp or deep state, said a former senior official. Rather, they were White House officials who got concerned about this because this is not the way they want to see their government run. These are the people that these right-wing pundits are saying are unstable. The many people who observed this in real time and immediately knew that what they just heard was the president committing a serious and impeachable crime. They want us to believe that we're crazy, that the patriotic people deep inside the White House, career officials who don't want the government run this way, that we're all crazy, that we're taking this too far, that it's all just a big uh, uh, rollout to oust Trump. But they can't get away with it because it's not true. And I know it's not true, not just because of what we say, but I know it's not true because I see what happens when Republicans don't want to say out loud that they approve of Trump's conduct, but lack the courage to tell the truth. The space between the lie and the truth they're unwilling to say is vast, and it is on display across the country all day, every day, as reporters question these senators. Can we roll the next clip? Senator, as you know, impeachment's on the minds of a lot of people. You've called it a partisan circus, but I haven't heard you answer this question. Do you believe it's appropriate for the President of the United States to ask a foreign leader to investigate a political rival? Yes or no? Well, look, this is what we're going to get into. The Senate Intelligence Committee is having an investigation, a bipartisan investigation. Unfortunately, though, what we've seen is a very political process take over. If you look at Al Green in Texas, member of Congress, has said, we need to impeach President Trump now because we might not be able to beat him in November. That's about politics. That's not what the serious investigation should be about. But, but is you, it? But is it? But is it appropriate? Joe, I've answered your question. No, you, no, you didn't. Is okay. it? Is it? A yes. Is, is it a yes or is it a yes or no? This but is you're about, not answering the question. We want I, to hear from you. Look, you're a smart guy. You know the debate. It, this is about the politics of the moment, and that's why they're trying to do this now. I like the part where he's like, "I've answered your question." He's like, "No, you haven't." And he turns to the next reporter, and she's like, "Yes or no?" <laughs> 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 Happens with Joni Ernst. It's happening with uh, uh, Martha McSally. It's happening with all of them. All of the, that. There, you see it. You see it. Doesn't matter what the, the, the Federalist people say. Doesn't matter what the Hugh Hewitts of the world say. They know the difference between right and wrong, even if they're not courageous enough to admit it. And that made me very hopeful. When we come back, our panel. Hey, don't go anywhere. There's more of Love It or Leave It coming up. Love It or Leave It is brought to you by Angels Envy. How can envy be a motivating force that inspires people? I don't know. I mean, Maybe look at... Look at Elon Musk. I mean, just, you know, <laughs> and envy makes the world go round. Envy and FOMO. That's basically it. That's a ba- yeah, that's it. Yeah, that's, the Half, that's capitalism. <laughs> envy is commonly regarded as a vice, but it can be a good thing. Envy can be a catalyst for creation, Ooh. inspiring the world to raise the bar. Okay. And Angel's Envy is a bourbon that is worth the envy. Oh, I was wondering where we were going with this. Angel's Envy bends the traditional rules of whiskey. It's a little different from all other bourbons out there. This bourbon makes the perfect gift for any occasion. Angel's Envy are the pioneers of secondary finishing in bourbon and one of the first full production urban distilleries in downtown Louisville. 
with its unique bottle design, Angel's Envy bourbon finished in port barrels is sure to be the envy of any bar cart too. Look for Angel's Envy bourbon finished in port barrels. Please drink responsibly. Copyright 2024, Angel's Envy, bottled by Louisville Distilling Company, Louisville, Kentucky. And we're back. We have two all-star returning champions tonight. He's known for his work at The Ringer as well as his book, Basketball and Other Things, and his new book, Movies and Other Things, came out this week, and everybody should pick it up. Please welcome back to the show, Shea Serrano. How you doing, Shay? Um, I feel terrible. I left my hat in the car. I've been wearing a hat, and I don't Heart- have heartbreaking. it. Heartbreaking. Did you see Goodfellas? Did I see? Yes, I've seen Goodfellas. Who knows? What kind of question? Blood in my like, veins. I feel like Lois in Goodfellas when she wouldn't go without the, without the hat. I won't go without my hat. I won't, that's what I wanted to do in the green room. And he's like, fucking get out there. I do think we're at the point where Rudy Giuliani is running into the house saying, we needed that cocaine. You've, <laughs> you fucked us. <laughs> you flushed it. They weren't going to find it. Fuck. Fuck. <laughs> All right. You, you've seen Goodfellas. I've seen Goodfellas. <laughs> <laughs> All right. She's a comedian and Emmy-nominated writer for her work on Barry, and her stand-up comedy special, Ice Thickeners, is available to stream in full on YouTube right now. Please welcome back Emily Heller. Thank you so much. Um, how's everybody doing? So good. I mean, he forgot his hat. I don't know if you heard the hat story. I know. I, yeah. And it's a new hat, right? It is a new hat. So it's, it's one of those garments where you buy it and you're like, this is my new identity. And then exactly. you forget it immediately and you don't like, know who well, you are Well, that's the anymore. end of that. Yeah. yeah. Can we go back to Ellen? If you'd like. Can we go back to reading other people's tweets out loud on this podcast? Because <laughs> I have one I want to read. Yes. I would wish I could write an envelope what tweet I think it is, but I'm in. I'm in. <laughs> my friend Josh Gondelman tweeted several months ago, I'm increasingly impressed by adults who stay friends with their exes because once you're like 30, it's hard enough just to stay friends with your friends. (laughs) (laughs) And I keep thinking about that tweet with the Ellen thing where I'm like, I'm having dinner tomorrow night with friends who, it took seven months to schedule this dinner. And I love them. They committed no war crimes and it's still hard (laughs) to find time to see them. Ellen's finding time for George W. Bush. I just find that outrageous. Anyway. (laughs) All right. It's such an uncool time to be a comedian right now. (laughs) It's like Ellen's hanging out with George W. Bush, the Joker movies, just like making people think that's what we do. Is that not what you do? I haven't seen the movie, so I don't know. (laughs) Does he like masturbate alone and smoke a lot of weed? <laughs> it's not as far off as than you'd think. Uh, now it's time for OK Stop. We'll roll a clip. The panel can say OK Stop at any point to comment. Yesterday, Donald Trump held a press conference in the Roosevelt Room, and like all of his press conferences, he stayed on topic. Let's watch. You have a okay, man stop. named Schiff. <laughs> Just so it said, I fucking hate this guy so much. <laughs> I- I can't remember a time before this as an adult that there was somebody who I didn't know personally that I just hate. 
I hate his face and his lips and his nose and his eyes. I don't have that visceral response anymore. I obviously hate him. I, I, he's a terrible, terrible human being. Uh, but I really do now reserve my rage for the moral cowardice around him. That is now where my outrage is. Not because, almost because, like Donald Trump as a kind of avatar for American flaw, like he just is a representation in human flesh of all the ways in which our culture is broken. I, I think it is, maybe that sounds a little, I don't know, biblical, but it's how, I, it's how I feel. I see him as just a representation of everything this country has ever gotten wrong in one person. It's, it's almost impossible how few good qualities he has, and it's in, actually impressive how bad his qualities are. But that's baked into the, into the stock price of Donald Trump in my mind, and I just watched the ticker on Mitch McConnell and Marco Rubio and Jeff Flake and, and Mitt Romney, and I just watch it go up and down, and I see how many I've stayed so low for so long, and that, that is where my, my remaining rage goes. Emily, what do you think? You like him? How brave would it be for me to be like, fuck yeah. <laughs> like, you would turn on me so fast. I would get carried out of here on a stretcher. Uh, no, I hate his guts. But unlike you, I'm not like, oh, I'm going to save my hate for Mitch McConnell. Why do you have such a limited supply of hate? <laughs> What's Is there like something okay. wrong with you glandularly? <laughs> like, I got plenty. <laughs> they can all get it. My hate, I mean. <laughs> I had a perfect phone call with the president of Ukraine. Like, okay, stop. I mean has anyone ever had a perfect conversation with anyone? Have you ever? I can't imagine being a person who doesn't leave a conversation being like, what did I just say? <laughs> I'm going to text them. I don't think they noticed I was being weird, but I feel like... <laughs> People read it, but they don't read that. They heard Schiff's version of it. He defrauded the American public. He gave the most horrible rendition adding his own words. I mean, Mark Meadows is here. I think I can say honestly, Mark, you didn't believe it when you heard okay, it. Okay, stop. I love how long Trump has been choosing to make this shift thing an issue. What he's talking about is paraphrasing. <laughs> this is an argument against paraphrasing. He's saying that, uh, that paraphrasing, it really is. He's saying, in paraphrasing, Adam Schiff committed an act of treason. And I just think that's really unfair because paraphrasing is really useful. Yeah. Sometimes you want to tighten something up. Sometimes you want to, you know, somebody tells you a story, you retell it, you clean it up a little bit. You paraphrase. Not a crime. Not yet. <laughs> so we're uh, coming out with a whole new standard and I think it's going to be something very special. It's gotten tremendous receptivity. Same thing with the light bulb, the incandescent that, lights. Okay, stop. Is that a word? Receptivity? It is now. Uh, is that really a word? I think it's reception. I think that's the word that he meant. But receptivity, it, I, I think that's just like your ability to receive things. Right. It's not received amazing receptivity. Yeah. Just like the whole China thing, we thought it was going to be like, they, it will be well received, and really it's we are receiving from them the authoritarianism. <laughs> yeah. it's, he's getting the order wrong. Right. And it's also, he's talking about light bulbs. <laughs> He's a fucking idiotivity. So. <laughs> and, uh, aside from the fact you look better, of course, who cares about looks? 
But you do look better with incandescent. They weren't okay, allowed. Stop. The dudes behind him are cracking up at how <laughs> hypocritical he's being. I also just want to flag that they've multiplied over the course yeah. of this. <laughs> and I'm not sure where they're coming from. We may be dealing with a body snatcher's situation. Uh, I didn't even notice that until you said it right now, yeah. that there were other white guys back there. <laughs> like, where did... It's like the Fantasia broom thing where like he chops the broom up and it just turns into more little brooms. <laughs> yeah. So, does anybody remember in Sopranos when Tony is trying to get Weed Killer, mm-hmm. and he's like, goes up to the guy, and he's like, "I want the, I want the DDT. Mm-hmm. I don't want, I don't want this commercial stuff. Like, give me the stuff that's illegal." Trump has the same relationship to uh, light bulbs and hair products. If Trump were in charge during the period of time when we were saving the ozone, we would not have saved it because he was personally bothered by the window when they got rid of the CFC aerosols and there was that brief window before they in, they figured out another way to do the aerosols and we all remember this period where there was just the and, it, <laughs> and you were just and now I'm not a hairspray person I wasn't at the time now I am doesn't matter why but the uh, but but uh, there was this window where there was just the kind where you kind of had a squirt and just do your best and it's it was for hairspray it was a true nightmare Trump remembers it that's what environmentalism is to him. Uh, it is when they got rid of that good 80s hairspray and forced him to use the bad 80s hairspray. And light bulbs are the same thing. Like, he doesn't understand any of this. He just knows that he doesn't look the color he wants to look, which is not the right color, regardless, under a non-incandescent bulb. And for that reason, he is upending a regulation originally approved by George W. Bush, a plan that has been in place for literally more than a decade as we slowly transition away from incandescent bulbs because he doesn't like the way they look when he sees himself at a gym with halogen, with, uh, with uh, 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 fluorescence. At Thank a, you. At a gym? Well. <laughs> and uh, you have the privilege of buying now a much more expensive bulb that doesn't have a good-looking light, but maybe very importantly, uh, when the bulb is out and no good, it's literally considered a hazardous waste site. He talks about light bulbs like he talks about his wives. <laughs> he also, um, there was that video game where you kind of like had a little ball of stuff and you rolled it around a town absorbing umbrellas. and Katamari par- Damashi? Yep. And wow, that is how that is Emily Heller, everybody. Uh, yes, that's the game I'm referring to, impossibly. Uh, but in that game, you kind of just roll around picking stuff up as you go. That is his intellectual approach, like, he just grabs on to little sentence fragments of information, he doesn't open a book or a briefing material, so he just gloms on to little bits of facts. So somebody in a meeting made some reference to the disposal of uh, fluorescent bulbs or uh, uh, LED bulbs, and it just came out. He's like a prototype of an AI in its first week before they put in any real data where it's just spitting back what its programmers taught it to say. Yeah, like whenever data gets wiped and you see him and he's just drawn drawn with crayons for a bit. (laughs) I really... Honestly, this is like one of my least favorite segments to do because most of the time I don't subject myself to the sound of his voice. I don't even. This is like the most I ever listen, listen to him talk. Yeah. 
It's not responsible. I shouldn't do that. I should be a more engaged citizen. I just can't do it. And that's okay. Stop. (laughs) When we come back, we're going to play a game about local politics. Don't go anywhere. This is Love It or Leave It, and there's more on the way. The Crooked Store's latest collection has a clear message for anyone trying to take away abortion rights. Don't. The No Trespassing collection features four different designs, each inspired by a different state where abortion is under attack. There's Stay Out of My Swamp for Florida, Stay Out of My Hole for Arizona, Stay Out of My Prickly Pear for Texas, and Stay Out of My Strip for Nevada. But obviously, I'll be wearing these no matter where I am. A portion of proceeds from the collection will go to Vote Save America's F-Bands, the Fight Back Fund, which currently is supporting abortion rights organizations across Arizona, Nevada, and Florida. Head to cricket.com slash store to shop. And we're back. 2020. It's exciting. It's sexy. It could be the last election of our lifetime. <laughs> And it's right around the corner. But you know what? There's an election before we ever get to that corner and it's standing there with a neon vest on like, do you have five minutes to save democracy? But you look at your phone and keep walking and they're like, please, don't you want to save America? And you're like, sorry, I already voted last year and I'm actually super late for coffee with my ex. And he only reaches out when he needs something and I'm really looking forward to say I'd love to help, but I can't. (laughs) But in less than a month, there are important elections all over the country, including elections in Kentucky, Louisiana, Mississippi, and a big one, Virginia. We only need to flip two seats in the Virginia House of Delegates and two seats in the state Senate, and we can stop Republican gerrymandering for the next decade. But we know these local elections aren't the most exciting things in the world, so we thought we'd spice a few of the races up that take place on November 5th in a new segment we're calling... Oh no, our collective obsession with national politics, of which I am guilty, along with social media, has maybe depleted a sense of civic connection to our towns and municipalities and created a competition between the global community and the local community as to where we seek validation, esteem, and belonging, a genuine challenge that isn't an indictment of technology, but a test for us to meet as we learn to live in a society where everyone in our country feels like a neighbor. So let's try to focus on the local by getting fucking hyped. That's really, really impressive. Really impressive. Here's how it works. (laughs) Shay and Emily will introduce us to some of the incredibly exciting, honestly earth-shattering races that we can vote on in less than a month at the local level in Virginia, races that we can all support. And go to votesaveamerica.com slash fuckjerry, Jerry with a G, uh, and we can get involved because we can fuck Jerry and stop gerrymandering. Uh, So they're going to introduce us to the candidates. Shay, kick us off. In the blue corner. Fighting for Virginia House District number 66 is the politician on a mission, the mother of five who will eat you alive, the queen of Medicaid, the General Custer out to make the legal system juster. When her delegate wouldn't make time to discuss her child with special needs. Oh, and I feel bad. (laughs) She got in the ring herself to become an advocate for children with learning disabilities. She protects drinking water like Brita filters are a scam. She's the first African-American woman to serve on the state's board of contractors and the next African-American woman to kick your ass. Let's take a shot to this mom on a mission. It's Tequila Sheila Bynum Coleman. And her opponent in the red corner, the current Virginia Speaker of the House, the Mitch McConnell of Virginia, the wiener nerd from Petersburg. (laughs) 
the speaker who couldn't be weaker. He's the slippery salamander known to gerrymander, the self-described world's biggest hot dog fan. And that's the least embarrassing thing about him. He's the man who only got enough votes to be speaker because a Republican won an election by literally having his name pulled out of a hat. And that's true, you can look it up. He's got a reputation for danger and disenfranchisement after helping draw illegal district maps that the courts overturned. His name sounds like the noise a dog makes when they're throwing up. Kirk ran unopposed for 20 years, Cox. I just want to see if that's true. Kirk Cox. Yeah, I got it. (laughs) (laughs) Shay, you're up. In the blue corner, fighting for Virginia's 8th District, much like the treats she dispensed in her years operating a successful Rita's Italian Ice and Frozen Custard franchise, she's sweet enough to get elected but cold enough to get the job done. She wants to increase education funding and educate Republicans about what it's like to lose. She sailed the seas as a Navy officer... And now she wants to fight climate change so the seas don't sail on top of us. The Virginia Peach from Virginia Beach, who you will never impeach once you hear her big stump speech. <laughs> that, that, that one just kept going. It, sometimes like, they do. Sometimes they don't end. It's like this, how, many, how many each words are there? We're going to get them all. She's here to enjoy mandarin and to eat delicious frozen custard and looks like she's out of, all, all out of frozen custard. <laughs> It's the marvelous Missy Cotter Smozzle. Is that how you say that name? Cotter Smozzle? Trying for a delegate seat of Virginia. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) And her opponent in the red corner. He's a former city councilman who was photographed in a genie Halloween costume that had a giant lamp with the words rub me on it protruding from his dick. Prompting onlookers to say, whoa, that guy should never have power. (laughs) He's the licensed firearm dealer who attended an NRA-sponsored town hall in Virginia Beach just after the Virginia Beach mass shooting because he's never met a gun that doesn't make him harder than the simulated erection he had in that gross Halloween costume. (laughs) He feels like a member of your family, specifically the uncle who posts racist memes on Facebook, since that's something he actually did. He's the pervy leech of Virginia Beach. Let him hear what you think of him. Bill Lamp Penis to Steph. (laughs) Oh my God. What? All right. You can get involved in helping these races by donating to votesaveamerica.com slash fuckjerry, Jerry with a G. And we are calling our listeners to get involved all around the country right now over the next few weeks. We need door knockers and phone bankers all over the country to get involved. There's less than a month to go, and Republicans are outworking us. Even if you don't live near these states, you can still phone bank. We have important governor's races and others' races that you can get involved in in 2019. We need you. If you said you do everything you can to stop Republicans and Trump, now's the time to prove it. VoteSaveAmerica.com slash volunteer and find out how you can help. When we come back, we were lucky enough to sit down with Beto O'Rourke in studio before his big counter-rally to Trump in Texas on October 17th, and he became the seventh candidate to play queen for a day. It was a genuine delight. We had a really good conversation, and then we had a very silly conversation. And he was a good sport for all. That's right after this. Hey, don't go anywhere. There's more of Love It or Leave It coming up. 
The Crooked Store's latest collection has a clear message for anyone trying to take away abortion rights. Don't. The No Trespassing collection features four different designs, each inspired by a different state where abortion is under attack. There's Stay Out of My Swamp for Florida, Stay Out of My Hole for Arizona, Stay Out of My Prickly Pear for Texas, and Stay Out of My Strip for Nevada. But obviously, I'll be wearing these no matter where I am. A portion of proceeds from the collection will go to Vote Save America's F-Bands, the Fight Back Fund, which currently is supporting abortion rights organizations across Arizona, Nevada, and Florida. Head to cricket.com slash store to shop. He's the former congressman from Texas, currently running for president of the United States. Please welcome back to Love It or Leave It, the first presidential candidate to say fuck, Beto O'Rourke. Hey, <laughs> good to see you. Thank you. Great to have you back. You were first on this show uh, right when we launched, right when you were launching your long shot bid uh, for the Senate. And I remember someone having to explain to me how to pronounce your name. The most surprising thing was how incredible the reaction was to you because you were willing to take this person on. And so, you know, we're here now uh, two and a half years later, and I think you're at a phase in your campaign after the terrible tragedy in El Paso where you've just sort of said, fuck it. And you're going to talk about things you care about, like gun buybacks. One of the reasons I think candidates are cautious and worried about taking positions like that is because they're thinking about the general election. And in part because uh, you're not up with the front runners in the polls. You have a bit more freedom. But do you think those other candidates are wrong to be more cautious? Do you think the positions you've taken on buybacks, on reparations, are dangerous positions for a Democrat to take in a general election? I don't think they're dangerous. And, and I do think there's something to the idea of fuck it, which is uh, a phrase I was introduced to by my wife, who um, when, when we were um, starting out in this race, she reminded me of what it was like to be at the outset of the Senate race. And she said, Beto, no one knew your name or how to pronounce your name. Uh, no one thought you had a chance against Ted Cruz. You really had nothing to lose, right? The other word for, for freedom. And so you just went out there and you went to every county. You said what was on your mind. You never knew if it polled well or not. You were talking about an assault weapons ban in Texas. You were talking about impeachment in 2017 in what everyone thought was a red state. And you just said, fuck it. And, and you just said what was on your mind. And she, about midway through this campaign, reminded me of that. She says, you've got to get back to, to fuck it. And not fuck it as in who cares, but, but fuck it as in don't care about the stuff that don't matter. Don't care about the, the polls or the conventional wisdom or the rhetoric you're supposed to use as a candidate. Just, just say what you really feel. I think that's what people connect to. And, and I think nothing forces that more than what we experienced in El Paso on, on August 3rd. And there was this moment where I remember a, a reporter had stuck a microphone in my face, TV camera on me. And I was actually looking for Amy. We were trying to get to this, this vigil. And they were like, do you think the president has anything to do with the fact that a guy who was worried about being replaced as a white man in America, who was railing about invasions, walked in with an AK-47 into a Walmart and just started killing people, gunned down 22. And I was like, what the fuck? Like, how, how do you not see this? Why, why are we asking this question of ourselves in 2019? Why is anyone in a position of power or trust, you in the media, still treating this as though we don't already know the answer? But, but I think, to your point, that has to extend to everything. Um, we, we have to call these things out for what they are and speak very clearly. It doesn't mean you have to use a four-letter word 
but the old language and rhetoric and conventions just isn't working, obviously, and has helped to produce the situation that we're in now. So I want to talk about that as it relates to healthcare. You know, Mayor Pete called your position on guns a shiny object. You took great offense at that. Yet at the same time, I think for a lot of Democrats looking at this race, there are some candidates who have said we should be for Medicare for all, even if it's not as popular as a public option, even if uh, it's maybe politically more difficult, because ultimately that's where we should be as a country. And you've taken a different position. You've said I'm for an incredibly robust public option. I'm for getting everybody insured, but I'm not for a single payer system. Is Medicare for all a version of a shiny object? No. And I don't think we should ever be governed or limited by what the political practicalities are or what the polling says or what the pundits have allowed us to talk about. And I think, you know, if we go to the the author of Medicare for All, Bernie Sanders, he deserves so much of the credit for the fact that it is now conventional wisdom that we should get to universal health care, that it should be guaranteed, that it should be of high quality. There's just a disagreement now amongst us about the best path that we should take in pursuing that. And for me, that involves ensuring that everyone who's uncovered today is able to enroll in Medicare tomorrow, that those who are insufficiently covered, so you can't afford your copay or your premium, and you're literally afraid to go to the doctor, though you pay for it every month, you can enroll in Medicare. But those tens of millions of our fellow Americans who have health insurance that they like, um, that works for them, that members of unions who fought and negotiated for those plans and want to keep them, they should be able to do that. And so our plan gets to those same goals that that Bernie deserves so much credit for defining for America, but I think in, in a much better, far more effective way. So, I mean, something that, you know, President Obama has said, I think some advocates for public option have said over the years is, if I were designing a system from scratch, I would go with single payer, but the transition is so difficult, that's why I support this incremental approach. And I, and I don't say incremental as a disparaging thing, like this is the best route to getting everybody covered. Do you agree with that, or do you actually believe a system where there is a public option and private insurance is better than a system in which everyone has uh, the same Medicare? Yes, it's the latter. So it's not a, a function of expediency or cost in my mind for the position that I've taken. It is just the best possible path to guarantee the highest quality of care for our fellow Americans. For example, in our plan, go see a primary care provider, no copay. Go to see a mental health care provider, no copay to do that. For women's reproductive care and the full spectrum of women's health care, no copay. No copay for life-saving medication. So that's very bold. It's very robust. But it also trusts the decisions that millions of Americans have made or are likely to make to keep the insurance that they have, that they've negotiated for. And I keep mentioning unions because it is so compelling to listen to people who say, look, I have been on the lines fighting for this plan. And, and, I, and I pursued this plan in lieu of a pay increase or some other earned benefit, and I want to keep it. I don't want to fucking go to Medicare. That, that's not what I fought for. And, and so it, it's, it's hard to hear that and not be compelled by that and, and want to honor that. And I think there's, there's a way in our plan to do that. So that's why we're pursuing that, not out of any other reason, polling, expediency, or cost. It's just the best path. So, you know, we've had a lot of debates about healthcare, a lot of debates about immigration. There actually hasn't been that much conversation in the big democratic debates around the economy. And I know that's something that you've been talking about more. So what does fuck it on the economy look like? So last week, <laughs> um, 
I'm in Las Vegas and we're having a town hall meeting and we get we asked. Just put it everything, put $2 trillion on black and just roll our fucking fingers. Probably makes as much sense as what the president is doing right now. And we, we have this amazing town hall and this woman approaches me afterwards and her, and her question really stunned me. It was a kind of a what the fuck moment where she said, why is it illegal for me to live in my car? That was her question for me. And I said, well, tell me what you're talking about. And she said, I'm caring for my daughter who's significantly disabled, uh, requires almost around the clock care. I'm working for DoorDash, Uber Eats, one other job. And then I'm hired by an outside healthcare company to care for my daughter because I cannot be paid to directly do that. And I don't have enough to pay the rent. And so we're living in our car, but it's illegal in Las Vegas. And so I get harassed by the police. She didn't ask me, can I just work one job and that be enough? Or can I get health care for my daughter? Or can you do something about housing in America when we're 6 million housing units short? She just wanted the very basic dignity of being able to live in her car. And that was a, wow, um, we are really in trouble when it's been normalized for the people who are bearing the brunt of this to lead these kind of lives when they should be, all of us should be demanding that she's be able to work a job that pays a living wage, $15 an hour and, and no less. Certainly we want much more than that, that um, she have paid family leave when she needs to take care of her daughter without fear of losing that job or the income that comes along with it. Universal health care, housing, um, so that it's not something that she has to, to worry about today. And in the wealthiest, the most powerful country on the face of the planet, she doesn't have to face this kind of indignity on a daily basis. There are millions of our fellow Americans who are literally a paycheck or an accident or uh, being fired from their job away from living in their cars or being on the streets or not able to take care of their kids. And functionally, practically, we're, we're all to blame. We, we've accepted it. We, we've become inured to this, normalized this kind of poverty in the wealthiest country on the planet. Now, so I think that for me, uh, among many other moments, really helped to bring into focus just what we're doing to each other and, and that we don't have to do that. There are solutions to these challenges and we just have to decide that they're a priority for us as a country. So there was a, a study that just came out that found for the first time, billionaires paid a lower tax rate uh, than the bottom 20%. Uh, and there's uh, as part of this, there was a look at at the share of income going to the top one percent and the share going to the bottom fifty percent. And in Europe, it's sort of held steady, right? Twenties and twenties, roughly. But in the United States, we've seen the share of income uh, to the top one percent skyrocketing and the share of income going to the bottom uh, dropping. Now, I think a lot of the Democrats talk about the tax solution to this to you know reorganize our tax code so that rich people pay more the middle class and poor people uh, fa face less of a burden that is a I think a consensus on the democratic side and amongst Americans but that is an answer to a question about power about why so much capital and power is accruing to the hands of the few what do you see as the kind of upriver cause of that kind of economic inequality why is it that our economy is structured so that so much wealth, naturally flows up. I'm sure you read the 1619 Project in, in the New York Times. It makes this really compelling case that you start or chart um, the history of this country, not from the 4th of July, 1776, but the 20th of August, 1619, the first time someone's kidnapped in West Africa, brought here by force, and upon their backs, the wealth, the greatness, the success, the riches of this country are built and, and how 2019, 400 years later, their descendants still are not fully able to participate in the success that they've created economically, politically, in any way that matters or counts in America. 
another conclusion that you, you get from reading that is that it helps to explain a particularly brutal form of capitalism that, to your point, is not seen in, in most other parts of the capitalist or developed world. So I think, I think the roots of our capitalism help to explain a lot. The myth that we tell ourselves that, you know, yeah, it's, it's brutal in America, and certainly there are people living in their cars like this woman that I just described, but ultimately you're going to pull yourself up by your bootstraps. And this is a hard-charging country that rewards, uh, you know, pluck and uh, hard work and, and just keep living in that car, working those four jobs, and you're going to get there sooner or later. And, and I say that because I don't just want to blame uh, those who sit on corporate boards or CEOs who are paid extravagant, unbelievable, insane salaries, or those who paid for access and influence and outcomes in the halls of power, all of them share some culpability. But it's it's almost defining as a myth for America that, that this is okay. So if that is the foundational endemic challenge that we face, what, what institutions can be the bulwark or, or allow people to transcend this? I was on a picket line just outside of Cincinnati with some UAW workers um, outside of a, a GM supplier plant. Later would be in Lordstown that same day with other UAW workers. And this young guy, your age, he says, I'm on Better. this. Yes. <laughs> Thank he says, you. I'm on this picket line, um, not so much for myself or for other UAW members or even those who work at GM. He, he said, I'm here for the middle class. And that's, that's a very confident statement. I said, well, tell me what you're talking about. And he said, if, if we fail in this, and these forces that you just described that have produced the wealth and income inequality that we're seeing in America, they win. And, and any chance uh, of growing or even holding on to a place in the middle class is over forever. So making sure that we elevate the role uh, of unions as a counterweight to that greed and, and corporate power that we see in, in America today, not just for members of unions, but for everyone else who wants to have a chance to make it, who right now takes for granted what unions have won in the past and, and maybe does not yet see what unions still have to win for us going forward. That, that's one institution that I think we need to strengthen. The other, very obviously, is our democracy in a pay-to-play system, in a system that locks out millions based on prior convictions in a very racist criminal justice system, in a system that purges voter rolls in Georgia, where Stacey Abrams is the governor of that state, if hundreds of thousands had not been denied the right to vote, or in Texas, where you have the most racially gerrymandered state in the union today, if you could bring the power in of everyone who's been denied access to the ballot box, our government, our institutions, our laws, and I think our capitalism would reflect the diversity of experience and aspiration and genius of this country. So those are some thoughts about the causes. Those are some thoughts about how we work our way through that. In addition to the policies that I propose, which may not be all that materially different from any other candidate, $15 an hour wage, universal health care, paid family leave, paid child care, you know, a tax code that resets the balance. We need to do all of that. But to your point, I think we need to look at the structures within which we're operating and how they came to exist in the first place. Do you think that in a system like that, that if we were, let's say we were to have power and we, we get a $15 minimum wage and we, we get a healthcare system in which everybody is automatically uh, enrolled in a, in a plan and we make college more affordable. If we were able to make these big changes, 
we're still left, I think, with a, a country where we have some consolidation, some very big corporations. We see, you know, you now go to downtowns and you see kind of the, the local places are disappearing and the big companies have come in. Do you think that that is an American economy where people will feel like they have a sense of dignity, they have a sense of control in their lives, or is something so fundamentally broken that we have to go beyond these social safety net policies and, and attack some of the, the deeper sort of corporate structures in the economy now? Yes, we do. And it's interesting. I was in uh, Northeast Texas, so now a very red Republican part of the country. Um, up until 40 years ago, a very reliably blue Democratic part of the country. And to help explain that transition, someone talked about Wright Patman, who was a member of Congress for that area. And they talked about him in answer to this question. They said he was a guy standing up for the for the little gal and, and the little guy, the mom and pop shop on the corner, trying to keep out the Walmarts of the day. Walmart did not exist at that time, but there were other predatory mega stores who were coming in and threatening to put people out of business. He was standing up for the farmer and the rancher and the grower and the producer against consolidation because he knew as soon as that happened, not only would it put them out of business, but these little towns would begin to dry up. And you know, true enough, they have, and they're fighting to keep on uh, to hold on to the talent, to the young people, to draw them back again. And it's going to be impossible if they're up against these corporate behemoths right now. So leveling the playing field, ma- making sure that entrepreneurship is possible for, for everyone in America and, and possible today. Um, one interesting fact that helps to describe this, post-World War II, returning GIs, about 50% of them created a small business. Post 9-11, returning service members have created businesses at 4 to 5%. So that dream of being able to start something, having the capital, and really the possibility of even competing against some of the other established businesses is really fading from view. And that, that engine of our capitalism, that the small business owner, um, is, is being compromised. And at the end of the day, that, that will compromise this country and an economic democracy that we used to be really proud of, that people like Wright Patman used to fight for. And and into that story was a person said, that's why I stopped voting for Democrats. People stopped showing up for us, fighting for us. And so I figured, you know, uh, if, you, if you're not going to do that for me, and if you've got an economic populism coming from the other side, and uh, a Ronald Reagan who says he believes in the small business owner, I'm, I'm going to take a chance on that. So I think not only is it the right thing to do to stand up for those small business owners and future small business owners, I think it's very politically rewarding at the end of the day as well. All right. Well, Beto, thank you for being here. You've also agreed to stick around for Queen for a Day. Absolutely. All right. So when we come back, Queen for a Day. Don't go anywhere. This is Love It or Leave It, and there's more on the way. The Crooked Store's latest collection has a clear message for anyone trying to take away abortion rights. Don't. The No Trespassing collection features four different designs, each inspired by a different state where abortion is under attack. There's Stay Out of My Swamp for Florida, Stay Out of My Hole for Arizona, Stay Out of My Prickly Pear for Texas, and Stay Out of My Strip for Nevada. But obviously, I'll be wearing these no matter where I am. A portion of proceeds from the collection will go to Vote Save America's F-Bands, the Fight Back Fund, which currently is supporting abortion rights organizations across Arizona, Nevada, and Florida. Head to cricket.com slash store to shop. And we're back! 
For decades, Grover Norquist, a man who looks and lives exactly like his name is Grover Norquist, has asked Republican candidates for office to sign his pledge committing them to his core values. No new taxes, no elimination of tax deductions, no horseplay after 9 p.m. And since I consider myself the Grover Norquist of people who hated Joker. <laughs> I figured I'd start my own pledge. During this primary, we're pinning presidential candidates down on the issues that matter to me most in a segment we call Queen for a Day. <laughs> Congressman O'Rourke has agreed to be the seventh candidate to face the gauntlet. Are you ready, Congressman? Listo. Okay. I'm just context clues. That must mean ready. Uh, on day one, do you pledge to eliminate daylight savings and never let the American people see dark before 5 p.m. again? Yes. <laughs> Is Trump's Nickelback tweet alone an impeachable offense? Should be. <laughs> Do I have to feel bad as a pedestrian at the intersection for hitting the crosswalk button when someone is clearly already waiting to cross, or is it okay to have a healthy skepticism that maybe they didn't hit the button? I, I think it's okay to have that healthy skepticism. Hit the button. Do you have to make a kind of little face, like kind of like to the person? I think some acknowledgement would be good. Yeah. No, I think Civilized. That's, that's correct. Yeah. Uh, would you pardon your former bandmate if their only crime was selling out? <laughs> There's no danger of that, uh, but yes, I would. Okay. Yeah. Uh, you must now put to rest an important debate. What is the best food at the sad restaurant inside Ikea? I, I'm not familiar with this restaurant. What are, what are the options that I have? Well, it's really Swedish meatballs, uh, uh, lingonberry sauce. Um, that's really what they offer. I'll, I'll do the meatballs. Okay, yeah, well... That's that not the correct. Right no, no, I'm sorry. Uh, if a couple plans their wedding in the week between Christmas and New Year's, hasn't that couple proven themselves too unstable and dangerous to purchase a firearm? Correct. Yes. <laughs> Far <laughs> Foreign policy hypothetical. If you found out Emmanuel Macron's car had a baby on board decal on the back, would it make you respect him less? Shouldn't we drive like every car has a baby on board? Yes. We shouldn't be more like, oh, I was going to hit you. That's right. Until yes. I found out that there was a baby. Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> Congressman. This is this is a doozy. Okay. All right, just I'm ready. I'm stealing Tex myself. Texas barbecue. You can only have one for the rest of your life. Which is it? Barbecue, which which may be counterintuitive because I come from El Paso, but in El Paso we take pride in Mexican food as distinct from Tex-Mex. So if you were to ask me Mexican food or Texas barbecue, it would be Mexican food. Sorry if I confused it, but I just want to make uh, sure the record's clear. I just think, honestly, one of the challenges we have is like that kind of nuance. Like, How do you get it through in this media environment? Because all I heard is you shit on Tex-Mex. Uh, under oath, can you Ollie? Uh, no. Sorry. <laughs> Damn it. As a former teen hacker, were you white hat or black hat? Uh, I was white hat. Yeah. Okay, okay, that's good. That's good. That's good. Uh, for, for legal reasons and also for, you know, just in the interests of, of honesty. Okay, hat, well, yeah. it's glad those align. You know, so, so lately, a lot, a lot of times in the news, they do not. Uh, last month, and this is true, the U.S. government was forced to confirm that they were in possession of multiple videos of UFOs taken by Navy pilots after the videos were made public by former Blink-182 singer Tom DeLonge. As president, will you finally give the Presidential Medal of Freedom to Tom for opening our eyes and for Blink-182 actually secretly being good. There will be some way to reward that. I don't know if it'll be um, in, in the way that you described, but I, I, point taken. Yes. Okay. Yeah. okay. I, I, at least you're open to it. Yeah. Should we preemptively lock up anyone who calls the Joker movie a masterpiece for safety? You know, I want to uh, pander to you by saying yes, but I haven't seen the movie yet. 
Um, uh, it's so if, 2019. You can review movies without having seen them. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, let me, let me see it. Let okay. Me see it. Okay. Yeah. okay. Thank you. Final question. If you are elected president, will your punk band Foss reunite to play the inauguration? Absolutely. Yeah, that would be a ton of fun. And, um, you know, all of them have gone on to much more successful musical careers. Um, you know, uh, Cedric in At the Drive-In and Mars Volta. Arlo in this group called Fragile Gang that's here in Los Angeles. Mike in the Honky Tonk Chateau uh, in Springfield, Missouri. Um, so His names so t- are terrific. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, you know, to, to be able to, to connect with them again and be able to share in that dream that was lost to me when I realized I was nowhere half as talented as the, the three of them. Um, sure, if I have to use a presidential inauguration to, to have that chance again, I will use it. Um, so, yes. So, one last question. You know, you're running for president. Uh, I think there's a lot of people that have listened to this show, Pod Save America. They've been following you for a long time. In fact, we get shit constantly for for people claiming we're in your pocket when we're not. We we criticize you like crazy. Listen to these questions you just asked me. Uh, But but for people listening that I think are uh, wondering about uh, you in this campaign and whether or not you deserve a second look, what is your message to them as they're kind of in the home stretch of making this decision? I think at a time that we have a president who seeks to drive this country through fear, fear of Muslims, fear of transgender Americans, fear of Mexican immigrants, fear of anyone, in other words, who doesn't look like or or pray like or love like the rest of America at a time that there are so many people who legitimately live in fear. If you are um, a child of immigrants and your father's dropped you off at school and, and you don't know if he's going to be able to pick you up because he himself may be picked up and detained and deported. Um, if you're a child going to school and, and you recognize that this country has done shit in the decades of mass shootings in America, that 40,000 people lose their lives every year and you live in fear that, that you may be next, that it's not a question of if but when that is going to happen in your school. If you know that this country, that the world knows everything about climate change today in 2019 that we knew in 1979, I haven't taken any action, and you are afraid that the 10 years left to us will be squandered, I want to make sure that I am fearless for you, fearless against this president, operating on our ambitions, our aspirations, a belief in America that can come together despite our differences, not allow them to divide us as we seek to be a match for this moment. Um, And that's the way that I've been in this campaign, talking about gun violence, talking about institutional racism, talking about climate, the economy, healthcare, about rewriting our immigration laws in our own image. It's going to take that kind of fearlessness to defeat Donald Trump in November 2020, and it's going to take that kind of fearlessness to meet the greatest set of challenges that this country has ever faced. And so this is a campaign for the fearless of America. We want to bring everyone in regardless of the differences that might otherwise divide us. No me importa who you voted for, who you pray to, who you love, how many generations you've been here. You're an American first before you are anything else. And that's all that counts at this moment. So that's why I'm running. That's how I'm running. That's how I want to serve this country as president of the United States. Better O'Rourke, thank you for being here. Thank you all. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Gracias. Hey, don't go anywhere. There's more of Love It or Leave It coming up. The Crooked Store's latest collection has a clear message for anyone trying to take away abortion rights. Don't. The No Trespassing collection features four different designs, each inspired by a different state where abortion is under attack. 
They're stay out of my swamp for Florida, stay out of my hole for Arizona, stay out of my prickly pear for Texas, and stay out of my strip for Nevada. But obviously, I'll be wearing these no matter where I am. A portion of proceeds from the collection will go to Vote Save America's F-Bands, the Fight Back Fund, which currently is supporting abortion rights organizations across Arizona, Nevada, and Florida. Head to cricket.com slash store to shop. And we're back! Now it's time for the rant wheel. Here's how it works. We spin the wheel wherever it lands. We rant about the topic. This week on the wheel, we have alcoholic Tide Pods. We have Best Picture 2016. We have the Secession theme song. We have Lindsey Graham prank call. We have Joker. We have Halloween, rehearsal dinners, and the Santa Ana winds. Let's spin the wheel. It has landed on Best Picture 2016. And that had to have been suggested by one of you. That was not me. Was that you? (laughs) (laughs) It was you. Oh, yeah, I did that. You're the one who... uh... (laughs) I forgot I wrote the book, the movie book. Oh, yeah, you wrote a book. One of us wrote a book about movies. uh, And it's not me. (laughs) Shay, I think this was you because you wrote a book about movies that's out right now in stores. (laughs) It's... It's illustrated. It's got great stories in it, right? Some of that's true. <laughs> illustrated is true. Great stories is like, you know, if you like it. Not, wow, really? Not, not, not going to hard sell us, huh? <laughs> 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 All right, Jay, take it away. This is the movie that won Best Picture in 2017, Spotlight. I don't know if you remember this or not. It won in two se- 2017 oh, for two, 2016. No, it, won 2000, it won 2016 for 2015. The oh. Oscars come year, the year after. Mm-hmm. So this Never is the movie mind. that won. These are the other ones that were nominated. The Big, Sh- the Big Short, Bridge of Spies, Brooklyn, Mad Max Fury Road, The Martian, The Revenant, and Room. They nominated eight movies. Spotlight won. They missed the best movie that should have been the winner. I rewatched it on the plane. I've been thinking about it ever since then. I'm so excited to find out what it is. It's motherfucking Creed. Creed. <laughs> Michael B. Jordan, Tessa Thompson, Sylvester Stallone, an incredible reboot of the Rocky franchise, which is one of the all-time great movie franchises. Stallone got nominated for Best Supporting Actor, but they did not give Michael B. Jordan uh, a nomination for... They gave Matt Damon one for The Martian, and this is is Matt Damon in The Martian. Oh, I need to figure out how to grow potatoes. Oh, I got it. I got it. I know how to grow potatoes. <laughs> he does that for two hours. <laughs> Michael B. Jordan was doing pull-ups with his shirt off, and he had a, it was incredible. Listen. He got my vote. I'm, listen. All of a sudden, I'm interested in this movie again. <laughs> no, listen. It's, it's, everybody thinks of Rocky, like the first thing you think of is like Rocky IV when he's fighting Ivan Drago or whatever. Uh, and and that, I get it. That's like the, the campy 80s version. But when they redid Creed with Ryan Coogler as a director, who's a very real director, Michael B. Jordan as a star, who's not as good as Stallone was in those moments, but he is able to like activate some other parts that Stallone couldn't. Anyway, it's this beautiful movie, and at the end, they make you wait the whole movie before they play the Rocky theme. They don't play it the whole time. They just hold on to it faintly in the background, and we have this very emotional speech between Rocky and Creed before the last round. They're fighting the champion. It looks like they're, it looks like I'm so excited to keep talking about this. Keep going. I'm so in. I'm so in. I agree completely. (laughs) 
it look it looks like it, like Rocky wants to stop the fight. Poor Creed, his eye is just closed completely. It's a very movie moment. Anyway, Creed, he has a breakdown, and he's like, don't stop the fight, you gotta let me prove it, Rocky's like, I gotta let you prove what? Creed's like, that I'm not a mistake. And then it's just like, oh my God. And then Rocky gives him the speech, and he fucking powers him up, and he's like, we're gonna fucking go, say over there, we're gonna go over there, we're gonna knock that son of a bitch down. And then he says it, and then finally, he stands up, and his face is all beat up, and then right there, dun 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 And I got so fired up. Creed! Best picture, 2016. I was so fired up. Listen, I was at the movies with my... It was Freaking me, out. Me, my wife, two of my uncles, old Mexican men are sitting here. I look down, tears all down their face. <laughs> I realize I've got tears on my face. I, fuck, I haven't stopped thinking about it since. And I, I rewatched that. And then I rewatched Spotlight. And I was like, mm, fucking Creed should... Give it a treat. I want to make two points really quick. Give it to me. Give it to me. Number one... Another film robbed in a different year is a film called The Florida Project, which deserved to be nominated for Best Picture. And I think it, it didn't for the same reason Creed didn't get Best Picture. Yes. And it is because we were to talk about Creed, and I didn't know what you were about to say. I would have come to the exact same point as you do, where Creed says, I'm not a mistake. Mm-hmm. Because I think what that movie did that was so amazing is... So many movies, and especially big dramas that are going to try to be your best picture, they really do hold your hand all the way through. And this is a movie where you watch a character fight and fight and fight and fight, and he never says why, and it's a really subtle, excellent performance. You just watch somebody push and push and push, and it's not until the final moments of the movie, the final moments of the movie that the character tells you where it all comes from all at once in that one fucking moment, and I was bawling. (laughs) You're so right. I hadn't thought about it in a while. Creed was robbed. And that's the only wrong decision anyone ever made in 2016. <laughs> Let's spin it again. It has landed on Halloween. I believe, suggested by Emily. It was, and I heard someone in the audience go, yes, and I just want you to lower your expectations. <laughs> I put Halloween up because I'm very passionate about Halloween. It's my favorite holiday, and by all accounts, it should not be. I am technically, I don't think, that good at Halloween. Every year, I dress up like something that no one understands what it is until I explain it to them. It's been eight years since someone's recognized my Halloween costume by looking at me. One year, I accidentally spent $300 making it. (laughs) Because I went to the fabric store, and I didn't look at the price, and I had them cut the fabric. And then when you get to the cash register, and they're like, that'll be $300, you can't be like, never mind, because they (laughs) cut the fabric before you get there. I also don't like candy. Like, Halloween shouldn't be for me. I also don't like being scared. Like, I don't like being scared of anything. Like, right now, my biggest fear is that I'm going to screen a call and then it's going to end up being Elizabeth Warren and I'll have missed it. And that's the most fear I can handle right now. I'm on Ativan for that alone. That being said, I've been thinking a lot about how we can step up our Halloween game this year because I feel like Halloween is not a... We're not having national conversations about Halloween the way we are with Christmas the way we're so sacred about how we celebrate Christmas, which is like just as weird of a holiday. But I think that we need to keep Halloween current. I've got a few ideas. For one thing, 
I want people who use the word spooktacular <laughs> to also use the word spooktacle. <laughs> no one's doing both. People are only doing spooktacular. No one's saying like, it's gonna be a spooktacle. <laughs> and as a fan of the English language, I just, like spooktacular's over, it's spooktacle now. <laughs> if it's gonna be a noun, say spooktacle. And then the other thing I was thinking was like, we haven't had like a good Halloween banger since Monster Mash. I mean, thriller, yes, but we can't play that anymore. Um, I'm firmly on the side of stop playing Michael Jackson things when I'm having, trying to have a good time. Because uh, it sends me down a, um, in a anxiety spiral of whether it's okay to enjoy it and that makes it not fun. Uh, that set us back approximately 30 years back to Monster Mash. We haven't updated the monster canon. They act like it ends at Frankenstein and Dracula as if those weren't just book characters from like 200 years ago, less than 200 years ago. I feel like we need to update it with some more current monsters. Uh, Slenderman should be in there. The Babadook. Shrek, I don't know. Um, and then when it comes to costumes, some people dress creatively, some people dress scary, some people dress sexy. It's just like a fucked up version of the seven dwarves. Do whatever you want. Uh, but I, I wanna urge you to make your own costume. Um, Cause my mom was an art teacher and we did that every year and it was really fun. And um, I have the wrong opinions about Halloween and that's the conclusion of my Halloween rant. It is almost time for the third annual Crooked Media Halloween Pumptacular. <laughs> an event that... It promises to, to be a pumpticle. <laughs> <laughs> and it will be a pumpticle, although I, I have... One of the great challenges I have is uh, no one is as invested in the pumpticle <laughs> as I am. And so there's also another Halloween ritual, which is me reminding people that I haven't forgotten Halloween is coming, <laughs> and we will be scheduling a company-wide pumpkin carving. And then, like clockwork, someone says, well, it's gonna be a lot of pumpkins, should we partner up? And I say, if people wanna partner up, they're welcome to partner up, but people should also have the option, one pumpkin, one fucking person. Cause it's Halloween, and I love it. <laughs> Halloween is actually two overlapping holidays that sit on top of each other and do not intersect. Children Halloween and, and adult, adult Halloween. Halloween. Family Halloween and uh, late fun. night fun Halloween. Fun Halloween. Yeah. I'm down here. I love Halloween. adult Halloween. I love going as a, think of a common costume, a gladiator, something else. <laughs> Wait, why is that your first common costume? We know why. <laughs> Basically, I take a costume. I add something gay to it, and then I call it something gay, like Darth Gaydar, or a gadiator, or... Gladigator. Gladigator. <laughs> Gladigator. That's too, that, that's too close to alligator. <laughs> my routine on Halloween is, oh fuck, there's no candy at my house, so on my way home from work, or not work, I go to Target, I buy three bags of candy, giant bags of candy, and I buy some sort of bucket, 
And then I do, I fill the bucket with candy and I put it at the end of my driveway with a sand, sign that says candy. You put a sign that says candy? What? <laughs> you don't even put it. Not a sign that says only take one? Ta- yeah. No, I won't do it. Because only take one, to me, <laughs> speaks to, is first of all, it's both too cynical and too naive at once. Because <laughs> who's that sign for? Because if you're the kind who's of person... Who's the sign that says candy for? If you're the sign... <laughs> I don't think I'm sure. What? <laughs> if you say, if you're the kind of person that would respect a sign that says take one, you probably would have only taken two. If you're the kind of person that would take more, the sign only encourages you. <laughs> because you see the sign and you recognize, like the judiciary, it has no means of enforcement. You know? The teenage sons of bitches, they come up to your bucket and they're like, yeah, you and one army. I'm taking the fucking whole thing. And so you come back at the end of the night and the bucket is empty. But so what? That's the point. I, I can't get past that you put it at the end of your driveway. Oh, yeah. I pick like it's supposed to be by the door. And like so, the further you put it from your door, like the meaner you are. You're yeah. ba- you might you might as well take all the candy and just throw it in the street. Uh, and they'll be like, get there's your fucking candy, uh, kids. Here's yeah, because here's what here's what the kids are experiencing. There's one amazingly lucky kid. Yeah. who walks up to trick-or-treat, sees the bucket, cannot, I'm done. cannot yeah. believe her eyes. <laughs> Just a bucket of candy that says candy on it. <laughs> she turns the sign over. It doesn't say only take one. She takes the entire bucket, dumps it into her bag, and then a hundred more kids walk by, see a bucket that's empty that cruelly says candy on it. And they look. Every How is your house not getting egged? If you saw a bucket that said candy and had nothing in it, how furious would you be? Giving me a lot to think about. <laughs> a lot to think about. Um, I guess no sign, maybe. <laughs> Just a sign that says, please be respooktful. <laughs> And that's our show. I want to thank Emily Heller, Shay Serrano, Better Award, Nancy Pelosi, Carrie, we're thinking about you. And thank you to everybody at the improv. Have a great night. Love It or Leave It is a product of Crooked Media. It's written and produced by me, John Lovett, Elisa Gutierrez, Lee Eisenberg, our head writer and Joe Biden supporter, Travis Helwig, and writers Jocelyn Kaufman, Alicia Carroll, and Peter Miller. Bill Lance is our editor, and Kyle Seglin is our sound engineer. Our theme song is written and performed by Sure Sure. Thanks to our designers, Jesse McLean and Jamie Skeel, for creating and running all of our visuals, which you can't see because this is a podcast, and to our digital producers, Narmel Conian and Yale Freed, for filming and editing video each week so you can. A car is never just a car. Kelly Blue Book knows it's so much more than that. It's your commuting chariot, your road trip refuge, your I just need a reason to get out of the house. Your car is there for everything. And for everything car, there's Kelly Blue Book. Need a new set of wheels? Price it on Kelly Blue Book. Problem under the hood? Fix it with Kelly Blue Book. Can another car do the job better? Trade it or sell it on Kelly Blue Book. We're here mile after mile, moment after moment. Price it, fix it, trade it, sell it. KBB.com. Visit kellybluebook.com to get the journey started.